Hey guys, this is Ellie and Gina with the Impetus Health Podcast. We're excited to come to you guys today with a, a fun topic that we've been um, discussing a good bit together, and we're just excited to share it with you guys. So um, I will open up the floor to Gina to kind of give us a prompt, and we'll dive in. So, yeah. Sorry, what are we talking about today, Gina? <laughs> I think um, we both have been hearing this a lot, and maybe it's just because it's the start of the new year, so weight loss is on a lot of people's minds, but a lot of people have been coming to us saying, I'm a really good eater, but I'm not seeing any weight loss. And I wanted to start off with saying, it's awesome to be a good eater, but I'm not really sure what that means because that probably looks different to a lot of people. But why there is a flaw when someone says, I'm eating really good, but I'm not seeing any weight coming off. Mm. And so we just kind of wanted to dive in and first address the fact that really when it comes down to it, as much as people hate the calories in calories out argument, that really is needed to lose weight. You have to be in a calorie deficit in order to experience weight loss, regardless of the types of foods you're eating. Yeah. And if you had the best diet, I'm talking, you're doing whole 30, you're, you've cut out all sugar, you're doing intermittent fasting, all these things that people think are just superior in a way. If you're still over consuming calories, you're not going to have that desired outcome of weight loss. And so just remembering that as you're trying, if you, if weight loss truly is your goal, always coming back to the fact that I must be in a deficit in order to lose weight is the first step. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't been hearing that a lot lately. Yeah. So something that just popped into my mind as you were talking um, is one, okay, I think we have to define what we mean by I, I eat good, right? Because anytime someone is going to sit down with us and say that, hey, I'm already a good eater. If we stop there and don't continue to ask questions, like, what do you mean by good eater? Like, what actually are you eating? Walk me through a typical day in the life. How much of those things are you eating? So um, when I hear that, I'm like, hey, walk me through what you're currently eating in a day. And I kind of, I do this irregardless of if they say they're a good eater or not. But um, a lot of times what will pop up is, okay, they've incorporated some foods into their diet that are really, really good, like vegetables. And um, they eat fish once a week or twice a week. Um, they eat lean meats over fatty meats, right? <clears throat> but then um, I'm thinking of a specific client, actually, um, probably a year ago, I met with, with him, but he was telling me about his breakfast. And I was like, okay, tell me what you put in your smoothie. You have a smoothie every morning. And he's heard that flaxseed is good, that chia seed is good, that nuts are good, that all of these things are good to have in a diet. So when he was telling me about his smoothie, he was like, I put a tablespoon of flaxseed. I put two tablespoons of chia seeds. I put um, some ground up. It was like cashews or almonds. Um, when all of this stuff is good, he put a scoop of protein powder, um, like a cup of berries, right? And then some almond milk. It, it, nothing in that is bad, right? And on, again, there's, no, there's really no bad foods. But looking at that on paper, if he didn't have quantity, I'd be like, wow, great. That's a really balanced smoothie. But when we plugged the calories in, it was... Over, if I recall, it was over 900 or 1,000 calories, right? Now, his goal was weight loss. If his goal was not weight loss, it, it looks great, right? But in his mind, all of this stuff is healthy as it is. 
but he had no idea the caloric value of all of those things. And specifically the flax and the chia, things that are really good, high in omega-3s, but one tablespoon of those things is loaded, right? And so what we did is we made a simple tweak because his, his goal was weight loss. I was like, hey, let's maybe just pass on the chack, flax and chacks on the flax and chia right now, even though those are really good quality foods, but with your goal of weight loss right now, we need to simplify, right? And let's get the protein in a little bit of berries and maybe even a dash of like chia and flax. But, um, so that was just like one example of something that stuck out to me is that, um, yeah, it doesn't really matter how good you eat. If you're trying to lose weight, like you said, Gina, a calorie deficit is going to be the number one highest priority. And kind of spinning off of that, but in, when we look at a, a week of a client's diet, a lot of times what I actually find is that if they say they're a good eater, again, we need them to clarify that, like, okay, what do you mean by good? What does your day look like? Mm-hmm. But then I find sometimes they're Monday through Thursday or Friday they're, they're probably in a deficit, honestly, because mm-hmm. you have a little bit more structure during the week. You maybe have you your standard job. So you have some parameters about when you can eat, how much you only have what you pack for lunch and all of these factors. And then you get to the weekend and it's almost like a free for all in the sense of there is something that's called over restricting. So you have been so restrictive during the week and in such a big deficit that on the weekend, you think, I deserve this. This is going to be just, I'm going to indulge in eating out lunch and dinner both days, having some alcohol, having the dessert. And then all of a sudden, when we look at your weekly average, you're over. You So you're in a deficit for four or five days. And then those two weekend days look drastically different. And so now you're actually over when you look at your weekly averages. Mm-hmm. So- what I would tell someone who is trying to maybe start the weight loss journey or be consistently in a deficit is look at your weekly average. Yep. We give people calorie goals every day because if you were to actually stick with those calorie goals, you would see the desired outcome. But we understand like maybe one day you're a hundred higher, a hundred lower, 200 higher, 200 lower. But the goal at the end of the week is that daily number. That's what the weekly average should be. So your fluctuations may be, you know, a little bit on a day-to-day basis, but we're really looking at the week. And it's really important to note on that, that when we give someone a calorie average or a calorie daily calorie goal that is based off of a seven day average, you get to eat more each day. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's just for, for simplicity purposes, let's just say that if someone is going to be really compliant with tracking seven days a week, so on the weekend as well, and let's just say that we could raise their goal really, really close to their maintenance so that they can eat a lot, but still lose weight. Let's just say that number is 1900, assuming that they burn 2000 in a day, right? That's low, but we're just using this for simplicity purposes. So if I give someone a daily calorie goal of 1900, knowing that that is a 100 calorie deficit each day, the margin for error is small. But if they get to eat 1900 daily, as opposed to giving them 1500 for five days of the week, and then them blowing it on the weekend, you're going to be a lot more compliant with a highly daily 
goal, higher daily goal, because it's a lot easier to intentionally add an additional 300 calories when you're mindful, as opposed to when you're not mindful, those 300 calories go quick. Mm-hmm. Like one little Hershey bar, right? I can throw off, I can offset my five day deficit really, really quickly, as opposed to daily getting an additional 300 calories when I'm mindful is a lot. Like that's more than a whole sweet potato, right? I could eat two sweet potatoes. So um, I hope that makes sense the way I described it. But when you're actually, it's better to allow someone to eat more rather than do the restrict, restrict, restrict on the weekend and then try to self to have self-control on the weekday and then try to have self-control on the weekend when it's easy, easy, easy to blow that deficit. I'd rather just stay leveled across for me. Right. And honestly, I think, yes, it's our society now, just the ability to have these higher, you know, calorie foods because they're everywhere. But also it, it really is true that if you are so restrictive during the week, like maybe you are having 1500, that is still a, pretty extreme deficit that when you get to the weekend, I don't even want to call it a self-control thing. It's you are, you're, you're so hungry that you just overeat because you have restricted so much. So yes, little segue though into, okay. So now we know the foundation of weight loss is truly, you have to be in a deficit, no matter where those foods come from, you have to be in a deficit in order to lose weight. And so now I guess, maybe transitioning into how can we make this sustainable? Because it is not sustainable to eat pop charts and, and crackers for your weight loss program and be able to maintain that weight loss for the rest of your life. Because I don't know many people who can eat those foods and just be like, I'm thriving. I feel awesome because yes, you could lose weight, but that is not the ideal conditions that we would want to see someone pursuing their weight loss endeavor. Yeah. And I think we need to, this is a good segue because we really do need to talk about, um, the, the reason why most diets fail is because they're not sustainable. Right. And if you boil down every diet you can think of right now, you know, keto, um, intermittent fasting, whole 30, even, um, whatever Octavia Atkins, like all of them, they, they all are very either complex or fancy ways of restricting calories, right? You're either cutting out a whole food group. You're either condensing the eating window to six hours a day instead of eight or nine. Um, there, there's maybe one big overarching rule that's going to get you to lower your calories mm-hmm. without maybe saying like, just track it and, and eat less. So, um, but what, what we find is a lot of times it's people end up feeling terrible. Like you said, because you've eliminated carbs completely, our body's main fuel source, or um, you can't live a normal life because you can't eat before 11, you know? Um, And if someone invites you to brunch, you just can't eat. So, so they all work to help people lose weight because of the primary principle we just described, right? You can lose weight when you're in a deficit. Um, But the, the thing that we aim to do at Vulcan Nutrition and any, any program that is sustainable is, to one, make sure that you're not feeling miserable, that it's something that you can maintain because you can still fit in foods you enjoy. Um, but you're also feeling good because you're prioritizing micronutrients, protein, um, vegetables, stuff like that. So we'll dive into the nitty gritty, but that's just kind of like an overarching view. Yeah. And I, and I would say there's a few main, main considerations when you're losing weight that just 
help you with the process and the long-term sustainability. And I think the first one, and probably you would agree the most important is getting in enough protein. And I think people are starting to hear that a lot more now is the importance of keeping your protein high, especially during a weight loss phase. And that is really because protein is the foundation on which we build muscle Mm -hmm. and so, or preserve muscle. So if you are someone who's actively trying to lose weight and you are not keeping your protein high, you're not, you're pursuing yes, weight loss, but really the goal should be fat loss. It's not weight loss because weight encompasses muscle also. And we want to preserve muscle mass and build. And that's possible if we keep protein high while we are in a calorie deficit. So First and foremost, during that deficit phase, I would recommend at the very lowest would be 0.7 to 0.8 grams per pound of body weight in protein, if not getting up to a gram. Now that's going to, that's a range because if you're someone who's coming from really not eating a ton of protein, asking you to eat a gram per pound of body weight is probably a little bit of a daunting task. So we wouldn't start there. I wouldn't take my clients and say, Hey, you're eating 35 grams of protein, but we're going to bump it up to your body weight. And so now you're going to have 155. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's not a sustainable task for someone to start and change that behavior all in a day. So we would take it baby steps, but just so we can get like give some general guidelines, I would say at the very lowest, that 0.7 to 0.8 grams per pound. And then if you are someone who is really involved in strength training a gram per pound of body weight is is really an awesome place to be um and then just a a little side note if you are someone who's is pretty overweight and you're pursuing a weight loss goal then I would say whatever your desired weight is use that as your protein target because it, it would be pretty difficult to get up into the 200 plus grams of protein um, for some people. So you can always take your desired body weight and use that as your, your goal for protein. Yeah, I agree. That's the, the highest priority when I'm working with uh, anyone, usually whether it's even weight loss or weight gain, proteins always, or just health. Um, protein is the first thing that I look at because it just has so many positive branch offs from yeah. Okay. If we can focus on protein, you're going to be fuller for longer. You're going to have a better blood sugar response to the foods that you eat. Um, and it's going to help with muscle mass, which is really good for raising our metabolism as we know. So it's like the one thing that you can like, it's the independent variable that you can micromanage or have control over. That's going to positively impact so many different dependent variables. So if you kind of, uh, get my, my reference there. Um, so yeah, it, it's, uh, it, that's the first thing that I would look at is, and it's also helps making it sustainable. So the next thing, um, what would you say is, is kind of the next aspect? I would say prioritizing your, your fruit and vegetable intake and that really protein for me personally has always been fairly easy because I just like protein, like I just like meats and fish and all of that stuff. I, however, really despise vegetables for a long time. I really, I probably ate zero. I mean, nothing. And so that was one of the hardest changes that I had to make in my diet, but also the one that I reaped the most benefits from Hmm. because I truly did not know how good I could feel just by adding in vegetables because 
fruits and veggies are primarily where we get most of our vitamins and minerals from. And you have to think, how do our cells function at a micro level? Mm -hmm. It's through all of those things. And if those are just not, if they're non-existent in your diet, you are not functioning optimally, no matter what. So I think, yes, lockdown protein, simply like you said, there's a lot of other downstream factors that protein Mm -hmm. affects. But then fruits and veggies impact how you feel probably the most out of any other component that I can think of. And you felt you you noticed the difference when you incorporated veggies in, though, because you had been eating high protein for so long. Right. Right. I'm not going to I'm not going to say never, but I very rarely would ever start a client with like veggies first, then protein. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Once you're getting that big block of protein checked off, then you can actually really notice the benefits of going from no veggies to veggies um, and, and really feel like the energy and just, you're almost just not that we can necessarily feel our physiology change, but like you said, from an energy standpoint too, like our cells function off of these micronutrients and, and, and vitamins and minerals. And so there's something that you said once that really resonated with me. It might actually not have been you, but um, you were basically saying like calories determine something, micronutrients determine something, and then macros yeah. determine. What was that? Um, I was talking about how just calories as a whole will determine your overall body weight. Yep. And macronutrients will determine your body composition. So how you look, your if you're toned, what everyone wants, or lean, your leanness, and then your micronutrients determine your energy. So how you feel. Yes. Okay. I just wanted you to say that because I think that's a really good way to kind of break it down. Um, yeah. And, and going one more thing on that I want to say on the, on the veggies, um, I have found that it doesn't work very well to tell people to cut things out, but what works really well is to tell people to put things in. And then all of a sudden we've eliminated a lot of the room that they would otherwise fill up with the bad stuff. So Mm -hmm. for example, telling someone to add a cup of veggies at two meals per day right? Instead of saying, okay, I want you to cut your carbs down from a cup to half a cup. If I tell someone, Hey, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to tell you to take anything out. All I want you to do is add those veggies, eat your protein first, and then your veggies and Mm -hmm. then eat your rice and your carbs because carbs aren't bad. We want them. Right. But I want you to eat them last. See, see how full your stomach is and eat whatever you have room for at that point knowing that carbs don't fill us up a lot. So let's fill up our stomach with the stuff that does first veggies and protein. And what I have found is that people naturally eat less potato chips after dinner or less ice cream after dinner when they're eating veggies and protein. So that's a strategy that works really well from a psychological standpoint too, because I don't do well when someone tells me that I can't have something and I feel like I'm put in a box. It's that rebellious side that comes out where it's like, well, I'm going to do it just because you told me I don't, I can't have it. Yes. And like you said, I think that that's such a great strategy to implement. And it's very simple. Like if you're already eating those things, just change the order, not because there's some magical powers in eating protein and veggies first, but you will feel more satisfied and you will feel faster with those two food groups. And again, carbs are not bad. We still need to incorporate carbs into a healthy and balanced diet, but they're very easy to overconsume. And most people know this, like it's easy to overeat bread and pasta and potatoes and rice. Like they're just easy to fill up on. Like you can eat a large quantity 
and really not even feel super full and satisfied. Mm-hmm. And like eating those other two foods first allows you to still enjoy the rice or whatever you choose to eat. But I can guarantee you're not going to be as hungry for them by the time you get to them on your plate. Right. And I will we'll move on after this point. But I do want to say um, something that I've been thinking a lot about um, in the past few years where this dawn of intuitive eating has really come into play, um, which intuitive eating is basically just listening to your body's hunger signals and eating when you're hungry and not eating when you're not hungry. Uh, that's a very short definition, but that's the baseline um, or the bottom line of that uh, process thought process. But so with intuitive eating though, something that needs to be addressed is that you can't trust your body's hunger signals if you're eating highly processed all the time. And the reason that is, is because of what you alluded to earlier, where if we're eating high carb, high fat foods that are curated in a lab, our body wasn't made to respond to those in a way that tells us, okay, I'm full and satisfied because it's unnatural food, right? Like they are in a lab trying, their job is to create these foods, this potato chip to be highly palatable, easy to digest and really hard to stop eating. Mm -hmm. So that is someone's job. Like some scientist is in a lab trying to create something that you can't stop eating. Like a Pringle slogan used to be, once you pop, you can't stop. Now, knowing that, in our, in our food culture today, that most of our food is manufactured like that. How can we trust our body's hunger signals when we're eating foods that our body isn't even designed to interpret correctly? Right. So that's why I tell people to eat protein and veggies first too, is because our body was made to eat from the ground and eat animals. And, and I'm going to offend someone with that. Um, and, <laughs> and, um, and to, to eat live living things, whether mm-hmm. it's or an animal. So when you set yourself up for success, eating those things first, now we can trust our body's hunger signals. If you're still hungry after that, yes, eat the carbs. You can have some potato chips, like whatever. But when you start with the other thing, intuitive eating falls apart. Mm-hmm. It, it can't really do it that way. Yeah, I think that's so true. Like you said, those, the people whose job is to make those foods, they're also, the goal is to make money. So anytime money's involved, it it starts to get murky. Yeah. But thinking of like a practical application, what is a amount of fruits and vegetables that you would start a client with if they're coming from like next to nothing? Like maybe they're having some fruit occasionally and a vegetable if they're lucky. What would you say to someone that's like, okay, I know I need to start increasing these. How would you start that process? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, very dependent on the person's starting point, like you said, but, um, it depends on how I look at their personality first and how they're wired. If they are very type A and they like thrive off of measuring things and knowing, Hey, I really like my food scale. And I want you to give me a quantity that I can measure on my scale in terms of grams or ounces of veggies that I need in a day, right? So first I figure out their personality or if there's someone who's like, I hate the scale, I'd rather just use a measuring cup. Tell me about how much I start there. And if I'm talking to the person who wants to measure it out and quantify, I really like what EC Sinkowski says, you and I both love her, um, aiming for about 800 grams of fruit and veggies per day. So a combined total between fruit and veggies of 800 grams in weight. Now, I will tell you, that is a lot. I've tried it. You've tried it. Um, We actually even just had a 
nutrition challenge at our gym. Um, I didn't run the challenge, but one of the, the habits that I helped come up with was one week of 800 grams of fruit and veggies. That's all they had to do. And the number of people that came up to me was like, my stomach is destroyed <laughs> because they, they went from eating nothing to 800 grams of fruit and veggies. And a lot of them were eating cruciferous veggies, which, yeah, it can cause a little bit of like digestive distress. If, if you, if you eat too much of them going from eating none. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely wouldn't start someone from like zero to 800. Um, but yeah, maybe even it's 400 grams of fruit and veggies. And we start there. And then someone who wants to measure with like a cup. Um, I really like just saying, Hey, let's start with one meal. Like, I want you to just find one meal where you can add in a veggie. And if that's a smoothie and you put frozen spinach in it, heck yeah. Awesome. It's not going to fill up your stomach as much as it would if you ate a, a few bushels of broccoli, but that's okay. We're starting somewhere. Yeah. I, and I think that was perfect because like you said, everyone's going to be a little bit different with their starting point and then also how they want to approach the situation. So I have a client right now who we started off and I said, how do you feel about eating fruits and vegetables? And she was a little hesitant. So she's definitely a type A, want to weigh and measure everything. So we started with 300 grams. Yeah. We had to stay there for a month. I mean, we, we did not increase that for four weeks, which I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but if you're thinking about your own personal progress, most people give up within a week or two if they're not yeah. seeing back results they want. But she stuck with it for four weeks. And by the four week mark, she said, she approached me and said, Hey, I think 400 grams. So then we bumped 400 for another four weeks. And then she said, Hey, I think I can do 500. So it's one of those things that it is a slow process, but I love the 800 grams as the end goal because again, like talking about things that we want to consider for sustainable weight loss is protein, fruits and veggies, but also fiber. Mm -hmm. And so by ensuring that you're getting in lots of those fruits and veggies that automatically is going to boost your fiber. So I think that's kind of, it's almost like a two for one, you're double dipping a little bit, Mm -hmm. but fiber has a ton of great research out. That's, that's really been in the recent years about how increasing fiber will improve longevity. Mm. And so they were looking at people's diets who had lower fiber and for every 10 grams of fiber you increase, which I would say most people get around 10 grams a day, which is under the recommended amount of 25. Um, For every 10 grams of fiber you increase, your mortality risk went down 10%. And so, oh my God, significant. Yeah. And so, simply by increasing your fruits and veggies, I can guarantee like one apple has six to eight grams of fiber in it. That is easy. That is easy to get in. Most people like apples that you can throw them in your lunchbox for work. That's, that's simple. And so finding those foods that you like to help you increase your fiber is a really good strategy to start to do. And you'll, you'll see an increase just with fruits and veggies, but things like beans and peas and lentils, all of those have, have tons of fiber in them also. So just, I think that's not a very common thing people think about, but that is another thing that also keeps you feeling satisfied for longer. Oh yeah. And it's funny because raspberries I found are like the the highest, the food that's highest in fiber per gram of weight. Like they're really small, uh, yeah. but you can eat a lot. You can eat very few of them and like essentially hit your fiber goal for the day, just in raspberries. Right. Um, 
And then avocado, like people think fiber is just veggies, right? And yeah, you're going to get a lot through it, but avocado has a lot of fiber. Um, even popcorn, like I know that's like technically a whole grain. So, or a grain, or yeah, it's like a, is it a grain? Popcorn? Uh, I don't, I don't think it's a grain. It's a, well, it's just, it's like technically like corn, but anyway, anyway, I'll look up popcorn, but yes, that has a lot of fiber too. So anyway, there's, there's fiber. I think this is where we can end. Um, and I do just want to say too, from a satiety standpoint, which it all comes back to, if you're hungry and miserable all the time, your diet is going to be very unsustainable. Right. And so another mark of a very successful weight loss program which I kind of hate using that terminology, but if you're trying to lose weight, you're going to be more successful if you hit a daily fiber goal of, like you said, 25 grams minimum. It's different for men and women, but starting there would be a really good place to begin. Um, but what fiber does is it, our body doesn't digest it as energy, right? So it just, it helps slow down the digestion process. So when you eat a meal with fiber, that takes longer to handle all of that food. So you stay full for longer. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not even going to get into all the gut health benefits of it, but, um, even from just helping prevent a huge blood sugar spike and then a crash because it keeps you stable. Um, there's just so many, so many benefits to it. So, um, that's kind of my two cents on fiber. Yeah. And then, and then I just wanted to mention like what we had discussed before, but so when you think about calories, just kind of to end and bring it full circle, calories are really just your budget for the day. And it's just bank account. Like we all have a set amount of money in our bank account. And however we choose to spend that money is, is really up to us. And that's just like your calorie. You're, if you want to be in a deficit, you have a certain budget that you're allotted, your calories for the day. Now, how we just discussed protein, fruits and veggies, those are needed expenses. And I think about this like my mortgage payment. I have to set aside money to pay that. I have to set aside money for my bills. So I'm going to have to set aside some calories to fulfill my protein target and my fruits and veggies. I can't just negate those, right? Those are going to help me be successful. And then whatever calories you have left, you can fill those how you want to. I mean, there are definitely going to be certain foods that you find make you feel better. And I would probably stick with those as much as possible. But if you really have that foundation of you're setting aside your calories to hit your protein and your fruits and veggies... Those are the the two first steps that I think are the most important to to hone in on. I love that analogy. And this is not a, a plug for individual coaching. I don't care if you do it with us or anyone else. But even with simple steps like this of, okay, protein and then veggies and then fiber, it is really important sometimes to just have like a third party tell you where to start and how to start um, mm-hmm. because – you know, even though this is three steps, like I said, it can even be overwhelming to focus on all three of these at one time. So um, I think like Gina, you said in your analogy, like figuring out, okay, what, what is my mortgage and my thing that I need to do first, that's going to um, ensure that I don't run out of money at the end of the day or energy or willpower, whatever it is. So having someone like help either affirm what you already know or guide you and what you don't know um, is a, is a really valuable investment in my opinion. And that's why I started Vulcan and why we do what we do. Right. Cause we understand that like, even we, we discussed before in, in this meeting, like we need this reminder. Right. And we coach this. It's 
it's just you can never be heard you, you can never hear this enough um and and i think there's a lot of freedom in it too knowing that like it doesn't have to be super complicated there's a way to find sustainable weight loss there's a way to keep it off right it's just sometimes we need a little bit of guidance and reminders and um just knowing kind of where to begin and the things that will keep us successful so, yeah i uh, agree patience yes yes so yeah we we should do another podcast on that too because i know you and i both had some clients that um you know, don't really, I think, understand fully our approach and our philosophy when it comes to nutrition. And that's probably on, definitely on, on me sometimes for not communicating well at the initial consult that like, Hey, in order to do it this way, it's the best way, believe me, but it takes a lot of patience and you've got to be okay with not seeing maybe the scale drop for a while. Right. Um, maybe you do, but maybe you don't. And that's just kind of comes with the territory of doing it the right way and doing it the sustainable, like looking long-term also considering your health, not just your body composition. So right. We do a podcast on that. Cause I know we've had some clients that we've essentially had to kind of say, Hey, we're not a good fit for you. Yes. I think that would be great for people to hear. Yeah. Okay. I could talk forever. Um, Gina, this was awesome. Anything else you want to say on it? I am all good. I think I got everything out. Me too. Well, um, also if, if you guys ever have any suggestions on podcast topics, make sure you DM us and let us know and we'll try to, to, um, get that done for you. So we appreciate you guys and thank y'all for listening. All right. Bye Gina. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. (laughs)